Greetings, my friend. Welcome back to the Wayfair Podcast. I'm Tom Bandle. Appreciate you joining me again today on our chapter day journey. It's Friday. Another work week. We're in Job chapter 18. It was verse 5 that resonated with me. Bill says to Job, the lamp of a wicked man is snuffed out. The flame of his fire stops burning. Today's podcast is entitled Demonizing Then and Now. I can't help but shake my head in fascination at the times in which we are living in, especially as it relates to the polarization of politics and media. Both sides of the political spectrum are pursuing legal means to prove their opposition's top candidate of corruption while being selectively dismissive of the accusations against their own party's candidate with the repeated refrain on both sides pointing to the opposition saying, well, yeah, but what about dot, dot, dot. I'm reminded of a t-shirt that keeps popping up in my social media feed. (laughs) It says, quote, study history and realize that people have been this stupid for thousands of years, end quote. Did you know that the 1824 presidential election between John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson ended up being decided by Congress because no candidate secured enough electoral votes? The Speaker of the House that year was Henry Clay, who had also run for president that year. And in a backroom deal, Clay secured the White House for Adams in exchange for Adams appointing Clay to one of his secretary positions. It was called the Corrupt Bargain of 1824. Four years later, the rematch between Adams and Jackson got really nasty, with Adams supporters accusing General Jackson of murdering six of his own militiamen, accusing his wife of adultery. Jackson supporters accused Adams of using public money for personal purchases, gambling in the White House, and hiring prostitutes to create political leverage when he was ambassador of Russia. The demonization and scapegoating of others, especially those who are different or with whom we disagree, has long been a very human enterprise. It starts on the playground, it continues in school, in community social circles, in religious circles, and in politics. In today's chapter, Job's friend Bill pipes up in the conversation once again, but the gloves have come off. Bill recites a Hebrew wisdom poem that describes a wicked man, but the poem is filled with descriptions that point directly to Job's circumstances. Here are a few of the more blatant ones, and I've changed the pronouns with the wicked man for effect. Here we go. Here's one. The vigor of the wicked man's step is weakened. Job's illnesses had left him weak and emaciated. Here's another. Terrors startle the wicked man on every side. And Job has complained in previous chapters of terrors and nightmares that plague him at night. Next one. Calamity is hungry for the wicked man. And in one day, Job, man, had calamity fall on him. Had all of his flocks stolen and all of his children died in a storm. Next. It eats away the wicked man's skin. And Job, as we found, his body is covered with festering sores. The next. The wicked man is torn from the security of his tent and marched off to the king of terrors. 
Now, with his flock stolen and children dead, Job is left with no financial security and any prospect for a future are non-existent. And finally, here's one. The memory of the wicked man perishes from the earth. He has no name in the land. And with Job's children dead, he will have no descendants to remember him or leave any kind of legacy. So Bill's accusations are very clear. Job is obviously a wicked man. In the quiet this morning, I am amazed at Bill's callous poem. The culture of his day held firmly that tragedy and suffering were a sure sign of God's wrath, and that tragedies and suffering must point to the wickedness of the person suffering from them. For 18 chapters, Job has been questioning this premise. The more he does, the more entrenched his three friends become in their position. The more entrenched his friends become in their position, the more Job becomes <laughs> entrenched in his. Again, it's kind of like what I see happening in our culture, in which we demonize those who think and believe differently. The more I demonize, the more justified I feel in doing so. History has revealed to me that this is not a particularly healthy pattern. My mind, as always, wanders back to the teachings and examples of Jesus, who quite regularly humanized and treated with kindness those his own tribe, his own culture, demonized. This includes those who were ethnically different, like the Samaritans, those who were culturally marginalized, like women, those who were religiously demonized, like the woman caught in adultery, and those who were politically demonized, like the Romans. The only ones you can arguably say Jesus demonized were the religious fundamentalists of his own tribe who perpetuated the demonization of all the others that I just named. But that's a stretch, because Jesus regularly dined with these religious leaders. He was a guest in their homes, and he welcomed them into one-on-one -on -one conversations. While his words against their corporate actions was particularly harsh, his interpersonal relationship with them as individuals was kind and gentle. And so I end this week committed to personally follow Jesus' example, refusing to demonize others. In particular, I want to humanize and treat with gentle and loving kindness those whom my tribe or tribes tend to demonize, even if those people demonize me. I find Jesus' words, beautifully paraphrased by scholar Eugene Peterson, an apt contrast to Bill's poetic attack on Job in today's chapter. And so with this I'll end. Jesus said, quote, You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. 
If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect the medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. End quote. That's Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48 in the message. Hey, just a quick note. I will be out next week traveling on business. I am going to return to publishing new posts on Monday, August 28th. Have a good weekend.